Ho, 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 and welcome to Tech Talks with Jack Pierce and Josie Rollings. There she is. You are listening to the Tech Talks podcast published on Mondays and Thursdays. All for the love of tech. Coming up on today's show, we are talking to Christian Biedgen from Sumo Logic. He is the CTO and co-founder there. And after that, we are looking at news from Verge.com and also The Guardian's top 20 tech gadgets of the year. Here we are then, Joe. Last show of myself and you this year until Dave decides to go on another lavish holiday does go on quite a few lavish holidays though so i'm sure i'll be back yeah yeah i mean look we don't make any money off this podcast but the holidays dave goes on you'd think he earns a fortune maybe he does <laughs> just yeah maybe he does but let's just uh, we had an update from dave today and if you check out the tech talks instagram account you'll be in for a laugh dave is on holiday with i think his wife's family and uh, one of one of the chaps there's a slightly younger lad i don't think he's that much younger than dave but he certainly... i don't know he looks like late teenager so like yeah, maybe late teens. Like I think it, it might be Haley's brother. Yeah. So let's assume it's Haley's younger brother and assume it's about 10 years difference. Anyway, so Dave ordered a coffee and went back to his hotel room and they, they went up to what we think is Haley's younger brother and said, oh, can you take this coffee through for your dad? <laughs> Dave is 34 years old. This, this young chap, we assume is 10 years younger and they thought Dave was his dad <laughs> because he's got so much grey hair. Bless him. I mean, he, look, we know Dave's the world old, world's oldest millennial. That's fine. But I think it's a bit harsh that he's assumed that he's a dad. And it's like not even like dad of a baby. It's like no. dad of a teenager. Like, yeah. That is the worst part. So look, we've given Dave a hard time while he's not been here. But genuinely, my heart sings to you, Dave, with regards to that. Uh, Josie and I went on our team's Christmas curry last night, as festive as ever. It's quite good. We were well behaved, weren't we? Sensible. Very well behaved, considering, yeah. 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 I'm quite proud of us. Much better behaved last night than we were at the Christmas party last week. So we move on to Christian and Dave's interview, which was at Tech Summit. I think Dave must have met about a thousand people at Tech Summit because we've still got those interviews. But very good insight into Sumo Logic and just data in general, I think. So yeah, over to Dave and Christian. So I'm sitting with Christian. You are the CTO and a co-founder of Sumo Logic. That's right. And this is your third time speaking at Web Summit. That's right. So you would have done Dublin and Lisbon last year? Uh, it actually, the, the, the two times before were also Lisbon. And oh, then okay. I happened to actually be once in Dublin. I think that was in 2013. Yeah. Uh, that was a panel, actually. But, but yeah. Why, first of all, before we get into who Sumo are, yeah. uh, why, do you, why do you keep coming back to, to Web Summit? Well, because they'll have me. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, that is obviously part of it, but uh, I, I do actually think it is a, uh, uh, it's quite a fascinating event. Uh, I, I walked away like in 2013 from the uh, Dublin event, you know, being fairly impressed with, with what Patty was able to sort of create there. Uh, and then I was, I got a chance to, you know, you know, speak two years ago and I realized it was in Lisbon and I was like, oh, wow, I have not been to Portugal in like a very, very long time. I think the last, yep. I grew up in Germany so the last time, I think the last time I was, I probably wasn't even in Lisbon. I only made it to Porto with an, with an interrail ticket when I was 16, which is about like 300 years ago. Mm. So, uh, and uh, so that certainly uh, added to the appeal. And uh, I, I must admit, Lisbon to me is, yeah. is a big draw. And, you know, 
companies in the U.S. have been living in the U.S. for 20 years, and you know, chances to come and you know do something in Europe is, is always uh, it's you know that's a draw for me, of course. Yeah. Right? What, what do Sumo do, if anyone's not familiar with the brand? So um, we are a machine data analytics platform. Mm -hmm. uh, we deliver that as a service, so it's all cloud-based. Uh, and, uh, you know, if that means nothing, let me try to sort of phrase it in more practical terms. Uh, we help our customers monitor and troubleshoot and also secure uh, their applications. Mm. And how long has the business been around for? We started in 2010, so, you know, eight plus years at this point. You started, when you started as a co-founder, you're, you're now CTO and your role is obviously evolved over that period of time but what what was your initial role at the beginning of, of that company in the beginning i started a company uh, with my buddy kumar uh, he's also a technical guy and um uh, and uh, our uh, vp product bruno who has who has a technical background and, but also sort of a business background and so in yep. the beginning um what we did was uh number one uh, we were trying to get a lot of validation for the uh, sort of for the basic concept right, right. which was hey we what we are doing is not something that hasn't ever done before. So we are not sort of creating a new market necessarily. Um, we, we sort of, as Sumo, we re-entered, in my words, I guess, uh, an existing market. And that market was um, sort of operational analytics and, you know, security information and event management. One day we'll have to come up with a better name for that. But yeah. basically security analytics, right? And uh, our background uh, is that we had been at a leading company in the security analytics space before. The name was ArcSight. Uh, and that's sort of that's kind of where we kind of you know learned the space and all of these things, and that's also where we derived the hypothesis from that you know we should do this as a service instead of enterprise software. So that's a that's a really important part of what we did. Anyway, so so we went and um, we got more validation. You know, is this actually going to work? Are you going to send us your data because that's a little bit different, right? Yeah. Uh, then then if you just put the data into a database or, or what have you, you know, on prem. Although you know we can talk for a long time about you know, whether it's actually different or, you know, which one's better, then there's a lot of sort of nuance to that. But um, so we did that, obviously, right? And uh, then the other part was start, you know, creating the technology, right? And um, we did write some of the initial code, you know, we, we hired people, uh, we hired some of the folks that we had worked with before, uh, and then just started ramping up, um, you know, Putting stuff into Git and GitHub and yep. and you know setting up a Jira and you know all of all of these things that that we do. What value did you drive for your clients? Because at a very basic level, I have a Fitbit mm -hmm. and it gives me a whole load of data, mm -hmm. but I don't really do a huge amount with a lot of that data. Mm -hmm. I just kind of go, oh, it's telling me my heart rate and how many steps I've taken and how yes. many how long I've slept for. It gives me a whole load of data, and yeah. I don't I don't know what sense to make of that. And it seems to be that organizations on the enterprise side, they are collecting huge amounts of data, but they're not entirely sure of which questions they should be asking at a board level to make sense of it. And they could be getting that data and stirring it up and just seeing the results that they want to see. So as a business, how do you, how do you go in and make sure that you're driving value and that they're really getting something tangible from that? So, you know, we start at um, a slightly lower level and then kind of work our way up. And, and so at the very core, um, what happens, say, on the Fitbit side is that there is a giant application or sort of a set of applications, you know, on, and, and systems on their end that, you know, take in all the data from the actual individual devices as you sync it, you know, that manage your user account, that, you know, show you the trends, uh, you know, the stuff that you interact with on the Fitbit website and so forth, right? And that's kind of the user-facing part of, I'm sure there's like tons of other backend systems that kind of, you know, you know, track, you know, what they're doing in the business. And, and those are all essentially applications, right? And, and if those applications don't work properly, then 
you're going to have a bad user experience because you're going to want to look at you know your um, you know your sort of activity trend etc and maybe um, you know even if it's a even if it's a mobile app you know it doesn't mm. always have to be a website but all the data goes comes from a backend somewhere right that they hit with an API and if that thing doesn't work then you know millions and millions of users will have a bad experience right and it's not always that the whole thing is down that actually happens almost never but you know what happens a lot and I'm not saying it happens a lot at Fitbit, but like across the board, uh, what happens a lot is that these systems have become so complex uh, that, um, that there's partial failures all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe it's one particular page in the mobile app on the website or some sort of, you know, checkout process or what have you, where, uh, you know, 10% of the users, because of some weird glitch, uh, are getting an error or what have you, right? And then sort of from a company's perspective, uh, they, you know, they would, they would rather like to like, they would rather... Um, like to know about that right and so what we are providing as part of sumo is a way to take all the kind of data that the apps generate from the perspective of their own health you know logs and diagnostics and and, and metrics and so forth and make that available for the people that are running the app mm -hmm. uh, you know the the it folks the ops folks the developers the devops folks etc so that they can actually monitor the health of the app and not that's much more complicated today than just up and down right uh, but also when something goes wrong uh, to be able to identify that and and then to kind of recover service you know as fast as possible right and and you know that is a relatively um, you know you know as much as I would like like to be in the business of creating magic uh, you know that is a relatively sort of non-magical process where uh, the questions that you need to ask and the type of monitoring that you need to do are uh, by and large um, you know, known, right? And, and and so we can very well operationalize that. Now, your question was more about, so what does that mean to the business? Well, you know, the obvious part of that is that I think that was pretty clear already that if the if the app isn't working or partially not working, then you have bad customer experience and, and, and that obviously does matter to the business, mm. right? But I think your question was more about um, sort of, if, especially if you're like a really data heavy business, like, you know, the one that you just mentioned, and, you know, frankly, most businesses are today, yep. you can go across the board, you know, you know, if it's a, if it's a car dealer, or if it's an insurance, or if it's a, um, you know, obviously bank, or what have you, a lot of the new digital businesses are data businesses, or some businesses are simply, you know, data integration businesses, right, then, you know, the data itself um, is generally thought uh, to help the business make better decision, make better decisions, right? And and so then that gets interesting because with the sort of types of analytics that we can provide off of mostly what we call logs, right? Mm -hmm. We can actually drive not just, um, you know, insight on the sort of behavior uh, of the actual application, but also uh, we can drive, you know, business analytics out of that because most of the times, uh, the uh, applications themselves like have lots of like you know lots of the lots of the stuff that gets locked you know for diagnostic purposes actually contains a really good snapshot of the state of the business in any given minute right yep. because ultimately uh, you know many businesses are very much uh, just humans gathered around these applications right and and so my point being that you know the applications themselves are just absolutely crucial for the business um, you know whether that is a you know, 150-year-old insurance or whether it's, you know, some, you know, sort of, you know, hip London startup or, or Lisbon startup, whatever, right? Um, so then 
you know, if you have all the, you know, you know, data in the application and then it's anyways part of the diagnostics, then you can use sort of the sort of, you know, same techniques that we have to figure out how to monitor the system into monitoring the business. And then it gets a little bit more interesting as to, you know, what questions to ask. So one, one sort of pity way of saying that uh, is that, you know, generally people like to see charts. They generally like to see charts where the x-axis is time and, you know, from the kind of, you know, operations and DevOps perspective where the y-axis is usually some measure of performance, right? You know, it could be CPU performance or it could be number of, you know, shopping carts checkout, but like some, something like that. Now, when you flip it to the business side, um, the x-axis continues to be time, the y-axis usually is dollars. Yes. Right? So, for example, if you're like an in-flight, you know, Wi-Fi provider, uh, you know, you know those guys. You know, very useful because now I can be um, mostly online when I'm, when I'm flying. You know, you know across the Atlantic and, and what have you. Then it will be interesting to know uh, maybe you know per hour uh, per airline that they're supporting. You know how much business, uh, how much uh, you know, you know how much business are they actually creating, right? So how much how much money are they earning, right? And turns out that you know we have lots of customers where we can be, where we can answer these types of questions. Now tomorrow you're talking to what could be largely quite a technical audience. CEOs and founders of businesses of all different sizes who are fairly well versed themselves. So, how do you determine what what to talk about? What are you going to be What are you going to be talking about tomorrow? Yeah, so that's a that's interesting. Um, sort of what I realized, you know, when I prepared for last year was that there's a lot of things uh, around data that where it's not really about machines and how do you analyze it better and what's you know better anomaly detection algorithm and what have you. But there's a lot of places where um, where where large scale kind of data analytics is being you know attempted and executed. Uh, where the results of that can potentially, you know, significantly change individuals' fortunes, right? And uh, not always to the better, right? And so, um, so last year I was kind of, you know, talking a little bit about what are some of the sort of dangers of, of you know, believing maybe too much that you know data can give answers, right? Uh, and and ultimately I'm going to you know continue to talk about that this year and with a with a slight twist on it where I'm trying to figure out sort of what does that, um, you know, how does that relate to sort of morals and ethics? Yeah, I've, it's interesting you touch on that point because before we hit record, I was talking to you about the fact that I'd read an article that was talking about bias in, bias out, be yep. around, around data and, yeah. and analytics. And it does beg the question that to this up to this point, regulation has been driven by the tech company, it's by tech companies themselves. And yet governments don't seem particularly effective at, uh, or maybe not governments, but non-governmental organizations don't appear to be particularly effective at, at regulating tech themselves. And a lot of people talk about the fact that users will be the best way of regulating the tech industry, but they don't appear to have a huge seat at the table. You know, if someone says to me, oh, well, I could regulate Amazon, well, probably not, because it's only really Amazon that can provide the services to the level and the depth, um, the, the service that I need. There's not really a comp competitor that I can go to to hold them to account. Yeah. So how, how are we going to do I mean, I know it's a horribly complex question, but how do you think we can regulate big tech and, and, and make sure that data is done in an ethical way? Uh, that's, that's a good question. So I think actually people have probably more power than they usually think mm -hmm. because uh, especially in aggregate, uh, if they don't like a particular service, then they can walk away from it, mm. right? I mean, that is a power that you have as a consumer. If the majority of people decides that, um, not to pick on Facebook, but you know, that's an easy target, I, get, yep. I guess, but if the majority of people like in a country or, or in, 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 in a society decide that like they've just had enough of 
something like that, then then you know they can stop using it, right? And 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 so in aggregate, there's a good amount of power there, right? On the flip side, I, I was actually thinking about Amazon as well. But yeah, uh, people probably don't want to, right? Because the damn thing is so convenient uh, that that like. I can't imagine a life without Amazon anymore. Oh yeah, like like right? I, uh, it, it annoys me that they don't pay tax in the UK to the level that they should. Yeah. But I've still done most of my Christmas shopping on Amazon. Of course, right? And so, and, and you know, until the day you know where you guys stop you know doing that and and, and help your government enforce it, you know, mm. Amazon will not pay taxes, and that is fundamentally a rational thing to do on their end, right? Because you know, why would they want to give money away? You don't of course. you don't run a business to that level or or even like, you know, one millionth of that size, <laughs> you know, if you have a habit of giving money away. You know, there's there's other ways of making good on that, you know, in terms of philanthropy and so forth. And with Facebook in particular, there is a really weird feedback loop there, right? Because so number one, Facebook was free, right? Uh, it's free because it can monetize the observations it makes, you know, of you know, based on what you post and, and you know the sort of location data that they collect and you know all the stuff that you're giving them, they can actually keep this they can they can they can keep Facebook free because they can essentially quote unquote sell that data. Well, they're not really selling the data, but they're basically allowing, you know, advertisers to target you very specifically, um, which uh, then, you know, translates into lots of commerce on the advertiser side, you know, in the in, in, in many cases, right? Meaning the advertiser is able or is, is willing to pay Facebook a pretty dollar for that. And then again, in aggregate, that means Facebook is making a lot of money. A lot of that money goes into, um, well, what? Well, you know, on some level, it goes into maintaining the like ridiculously large infrastructure that makes Facebook possible, mm. uh, you know, including, uh, you know, you know, building large, you know, large data centers like next to a damn lake in the, in the U.S. so they can keep the freaking thing cool. Right. So there is uh, uh, on some level like a pretty massive outlay and they could turn off the advertising and like charge everybody 20 bucks a month and we'll, we'll see where we land, mm. right? Um, there tend to be sort of two sides to that story, right? Then, however, um, you know, there's the ethical concern of is the data in unaggregated fashion available to individuals? And I think that's what happened like, you know, earlier this, or this was came, that what came to light earlier this year and then mm. the, the misuse of that. It's a tricky topic, right? Uh, because people like Facebook, people, you know, yeah, like Amazon, and then you know if some if people like something, it gets successful, and then of course, you know as soon as it's successful, then people start looking much more closely at you know how they how are they actually behaving, what are they doing, and do we like this or not? But on the flip side, I think um, so something that we have actually spent quite a bit of time on uh, over the last year or two, uh, especially um, as it relates to to Europe, is is GDPR, mm -hmm. right? And and there is something that is uh, that is originating here, right? In in Europe that that at least attempts to sort of, you know, create some incentivization for companies to be more thoughtful. Do you think it's been successful? Well, we'll see, right? No fines, I think, so far have been level, like levied. Uh, they, you know, they, they are, I don't think anything has been actively prosecuted. I've read some stuff that, you know, they might be going after some folks. Um, is, is that a measure of success, though, if they do prosecute? Surely that's just to show that it has some teeth. It's the teeth thing, right? I think on some level they need to show teeth. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, the, the the way that the fines are being, you know, described, I mean, they're, they're pretty heavy. It's not like give us 10 bucks, right? Can certainly have some amount of impact. We will figure out, like, at least theoretically in terms of percent of, of, of revenue or income or whatever it was, right? So um, the teeth need to be shown fundamentally we will how do we measure this well i guess it comes back to how much more do we learn about you know abuse of data 
right? And that'll take a little bit of time. Um, specifically if it's abused, because I'd say that it usually takes even longer until somebody sniffs it out and so forth, right? And we can, we can also see it's probably in the emergence or non-emergence of companies that are, you know, that are very clearly, you know, potentially, you know, sort of, let's say, gray area place, you know, around personal data. You know, if, if we see a lot of those coming up, then, you know, clearly maybe it didn't work, <laughs> right? Um, but what's interesting sort of on the macro level is that this is something that is, that is being, you know, I mean, it had a lot of impact. I mean, there were like a lot of, lot of, lot of, you know, properties in, in the US, like for example, Instapaper. I couldn't actually freaking Instapaper anything when I was in the UK, I think earlier this year, because they hadn't figured out yet exactly how to comply with sort right. of these sort of, you know, privacy regulations and they just turned the damn thing off, right? And so, so it has some amount of impact, whether it's all just about going through the motions and, you know, sort of pretend, you know, I won't be able to tell you that. But uh, uh, what we are seeing is that this is now being picked up in the US as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a privacy law in California uh, coming up that is, uh, you know, you know, as, you know, as, uh, how do you say that, as strong, quote unquote, as, uh, as, as GDPR, right? And, and I'm sure you know how, how, you know, U.S. in general thinks about regulation and especially regulating businesses. So, uh, it is California, okay, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, so there's, 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 there's stuff happening there, right? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it goes back to, you know, are the constituents going to be unhappy if their shit gets leaked? Right. And uh, if they are, they will start yelling at the politicians and then, you know, things will work themselves out to some degree. And it's not going to be perfect, obviously, because there's other interests at play and, you know, this whole big machinery. Right. But but if, you know, if the if the individuals aren't, you know, starting to get a little pissed off, nothing is going to happen. Of course. Look, I really appreciate you spending some time um, whilst I'm being very British and having a gin and tonic. You're being very, <laughs> yeah. very healthy and having spring water. So, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> look, I really hope that your talk goes well tomorrow. Thank you so much. And enjoy the rest of the summit. Thank you. So first and foremost, I just want to give an even uh, kindlier layman's term description of sumo. Because Christian does give it to you in simpler terms. But me being a thicko had to text Dave and be like, Dave, am I on the right lines with what they do here? Um, because I am not that tech literate. But essentially, they make sense of their client's data for them to ensure that they're performing as well as they can. So Joe, thoughts on that? I mean, it's kind of like a reoccurring topic, really, in terms of like what we've been talking about even the last three shows that I've been on. Mm. It's the utilizing data to make people's lives easier mm. and make companies run more efficiently. Yeah. I guess the different angle on this is actually it's kind of like a disaster recovery angle as well. Yep. Because they're saying, we're going to highlight to you all of the security risks. So then if something does go wrong, you can instantly see where the problem is. Yeah. And I guess it links to like the O2 sort of Wi-Fi incident or, you know, internet incident where people lost their 3G. Yeah. Like maybe if they had this system in place already, yeah. maybe they do, who knows? You yeah. know, they would be able to literally pinpoint instantly the problem. Straight in. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think it helps that Christian and his uh, other co-founder had a, a background in like, security analysis and stuff like that like i think that's always a good thing for a startup founder to have to have that now about security i think well they knew their space yeah they devised the idea based on the sector and yeah. like they say you know it's, it's not something that's never been done before yeah it's just their spin on a service essentially yeah. it is and it's, it's a very beautiful platform as well um just wanted to pick up on uh, one of the points he made at their inception where he says that um, they, they got stuck in, wrote some initial code, and it seemed to me that their initial first few hires were those people to, to write that code. So from Christian's point of view and, and Sumo Logic's point of view, their first few hires 
it was so important to get the product right for them right off the bat to be clean, clear and effective for their B2B pitches. Whereas other times we've had people on the show that say, look, your CMO is the first person or your procurement officer or someone like that, someone that's going to help you with spend big picture and things like that or someone that's going to come in and affect your culture from the very get-go. Whereas Christian is taking, I suppose, maybe a bit more of an old school approach. You know, you get your coders in, get your product down. It seemed to me like it was very much a garage let's all get in the garage write a shit ton of code and then we've got our company which is an amazing way to start yeah i agree with you but at the end of the day like he listed off all the founders and, and you know who they are and what they are best at yeah. and they're all minus one sort of more focused on the business side yeah but he was still a techie yeah yeah you know these people are technology yeah. focused yeah so and and i did I, I mean looking at it if they already have people providing this service then the key thing for their business was why are they different? Exactly. And that is going to come from an amazing product. Yeah. So if they understand the business, if they yeah. understand the bigger picture, if they know where they want to go, then the only thing you need to get right, first of all, is your product. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that people have gone out to market with a, with a product that's half, half the way there and just expected to get investment and stuff off the back of that. So I think product especially when you're b2b in and it's b2c in and is as important as culture of the get-go you know you want to get both things right at the very beginning and it seemed to me that sumo logic got that bang on and so i just wanted to move on to the next point and it was uh, that dave was rabbing on about his fitbit um, but then it, <laughs> we mentioned the point that danger of believing too much that data gives you answers it really brings up a moral and ethical point so I think for me, you want to see all your data, right? You want to know it. You want to know where it's going, where it's been, what, how it represents you and stuff like that. And we'll get onto a really scary news article about that later. But morally and ethically, data is always going to bring up those two points. And as the uh, interview flowed on uh, really nicely, I sort of wrote down in my notes, like, you know, data is ingrained in our daily life. We all consume data so much more than we ever have done. So Josie... To you, what's more important, convenience or morality? So convenience being Amazon. Now, Amazon, as they mentioned in the interview, get away with ta mental, mental tax breaks. They would probably save the NHS or something like that. I was getting a blood test yesterday and the, the nurse taking my blood said, you know, we're, excuse the pun, but we're bleeding. And we have been for 15 years. So it's not just this government, according to her. But anyway, so being on Amazon is convenient but it's not moral to use Amazon, right? So what's more important to you, convenience or morality? I mean, I think that's a very black and white way of putting it. Like Josie, obviously I'm a moral person. No, it's only black and white. Um, you either hate, <laughs> hate morality or you hate convenience. I mean, I can't sit here and say that I, I don't support Amazon because yeah. I have Amazon Prime. So yeah. technically Amazon get eight pound out of my bank account every month. But that's um, worth it just for the American office, right? It's worth it yeah. for a lot of series, yeah. there, I will say. Yeah. But <laughs> invest in Amazon, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, honestly, I think there are people where it does bother them. I know yeah. my aunt, and I mean, she doesn't work. So at the end of the day, if I didn't have a job, maybe oh. I'd have time to go out on the Shots high street. Shots fired at Arnie yeah. Rollings. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she doesn't hear this. Um, but then she's gone out on the high street intentionally and bought books from Waterstones mm. and bought DVDs from HMV mm. and has refused to use Amazon for any Christmas shopping. Wow. Right? But myself, I work five days a week. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm out most evenings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the time I finish work, I mean, the closest place to me is Oxford Street. Exactly. You know, kill me before I go to Oxford Street at Christmas. Yep. So, yep. yes, I have used Amazon 
and I'm, therefore it, if that makes me immoral then I'm immoral yeah you're going to hell <laughs> uh, no but I mean, it, it, you're right it's not as black and white as that but let's, let's replace Amazon with Facebook then we don't need Facebook you know, we, there's no way in this world that uh, millennials and younger need Facebook anymore. We're, we're connected on millions of platforms. We, we can send a text to each other, whatever. Facebook's really important for a slightly older generation now for, for family reasons and things like that. And I totally get that. But me and you could walk away from Facebook tomorrow and our lives just would not change. Mm. But we're still on it. We're still on it. And Facebook are arguably the most morally, morally bankrupt company of 2018. We will get onto that shortly. But I'm still apprehensive to just... Like, do you know what? I'm going to get rid of all my Facebook stuff because do you know what? The convenience is that I can log into any new platform with Facebook. And that saves me about 30 seconds. But that's the main reason why I'm not getting rid of it. That's just convenient. And I mean, that's terrible. I think for me, like, the only reason I ever use Facebook is Facebook Messenger. Stalking. Yeah. <laughs> Sliding into loads of DMs. <laughs> <laughs> no. Facebook Messenger, because obviously groups, it's much easier. Uh-huh. Like, if I don't have someone's number, but I want to create a group for an event or for Smart. something, it's a great way to go. And the other reason is events mm. going on in London. Like, mm. you can type into Facebook free events in London this weekend mm. and you get a list of 10 different events that are going on and you can go, oh my God, I didn't know that was happening. Great, yeah. I'm going to go yeah. to that now. Um, and I mean, you could do that online. I'm sure there's like timeout and different stuff, but that would take a lot longer sure. to dig out what you want. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and it, like Facebook will note that down that you're going to that event and guess what? You'll see more similar events that throughout the year. It's just, you know, basic science there now but it's just an interesting point because I do think that convenience and morality should be could be hand in hand but for now it seems like they're quite far away for me I mean for me though it was interesting because I mean maybe this is me living under a rock and everyone else knew that but I didn't realise that Amazon pay less tax than they should pay yeah they get you all know, kinds of um, yeah. and I thought that was interesting um, but I mean the point that uh, Christian made about GDPR yeah was quite interesting because I mean we get that literally all the time mm. companies asking about GDPR mm. and the fact that he kind of said you know we don't even know if it's been successful but exactly. at least the government or are trying to regulate some part of data yeah and I hadn't even thought about it like that I just moaned about the fact that it was going to be really annoying and it still is and it still is really <laughs> annoying but actually maybe it's their attempt to actually try and control these companies I mean this was this interview was recorded at Web Summit so that was September time and we're in what December now and now I'm not across every news platform but I still am yet to hear of the big first GDPR fine you know oh, it'll be on every single platform my money's on they will want capita. you to know capita are the world's enemy at the moment I'm well, sure they'll be ironic if the D. government yeah. got, got screwed over by their own policy exactly I would love that um, but yeah we do want to see someone showing their teeth as Christian puts it with GDPR just to kick someone in the arse um, just one last point from me and obviously if you've got anything to talk about Josie we can um Dave brings up the point again, you know, regulation is driven by tech companies, governments and bodies that are meant to set aside this, can't keep up with tech, can't keep up with regulation, users need a seat at the table. We already know that, right, Jose? Yeah. Cool. People do have more power than they think they already have. Yep. I think the evidence is just, as Christian put it, it you are the consumer. Yep. If we stop buying something, a company goes bankrupt. It's as simple as that. It is. But at the end of the day, like you say, Amazon, Facebook, huge companies, way too convenient. Yeah. Like, I tried to boycott Google for a week. I think I lasted like a day. What were you using? Bing? 
anything else and then suddenly oh Jeeves doesn't work anymore what am I to do I can't even remember why I did it but something happened oh the um the Google Plus yeah the Google yeah, yeah, Plus yeah, yeah. and I said right okay I'm not using Google anymore yeah and then literally an hour later I was like right I need to use Google like I, <laughs> I can't do it um and it and I just gave up and it, you know that is my power and I've given up essentially yeah. so it's true you do have power it's weird isn't it you know like how people say like you never forget where you were when 9-11 happened or you never forget where you were when Obama was announced I remember being eight maybe or something like that at my grandparents house and my dad said to me this is what everyone's going to be using on computers now Jack it's called google.com and you know you ask that butler to take you to a games website so you're now going to be asking Google to do that I said dad no, no we're not everyone likes talking to the butler online <laughs> How fucking wrong was I? And how sad is that that I remember my first interaction with Google? Yeah, that is fairly sad. Really sad. Right, moving on. Now time for a quick word from our partners, audible.co.uk. As our listeners are aware, we have a wonderful deal for them via audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks, a free month's trial. And Christmas is coming up, isn't it, Jack? It very much is. It's it's so close now. People have got their Christmas trees up. Shops have got their decorations out. It's We're in the final rungs of the lead up to Christmas now. Michael Bublé is around every corner. Exactly. Now, if you go onto Audible, mm. what would you buy for your Christmas stocking filler? Do you know what? It's a little bit different. It's a little bit out there. But fans of the BBC programme People Just Do Nothing will know that the character, Chapadi G, has put out a comedy book, um, How To Be A Man, and it all pokes fun at his character and so on and so forth. And if you get the audio version, it's him narrating it as well. I'm sure it's delightful. It's not very festive. Not very festive, but I guarantee you it's hilarious. Good. Well, for balance, you could also, of course, go on and download The Snowman and the Snow Dog. Yeah, or Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Absolutely. Yeah. So, audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks. Why don't you find yourself a little treat for the festive season? Have a book on us. Now it's time for the news. And the last time I'll be picking the news this year. Right, news, news, news. So, Joe, first article we're looking at is Facebook gave Spotify and Netflix access to users' private messages. Now, I'm just going to read out some bits that I've highlighted here because I shit myself when I read this article. This is scary stuff, right? So the story which draws... Um, actually, I should probably tell you where it's from. Casey Newton, who is at Casey Newton on Twitter, writes for TheVerge.com. Another new source of info for me, but this is a really, really good insight because uh, Casey takes stuff from the Times, the Wall Street Journal, um, to, to, to back his points up. So, the story draws on the internal documents describing the company's partnerships. Reports previously undisclosed aspects of business partnerships with companies including Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Spotify, and Netflix. In some cases, companies had access to the data years after it was supposed to have been cut off. So Facebook have signed dodgy deals with people. Um, that's no surprise there. But then we, we, we really get into what they were doing and how they were doing it. So they gave Apple access to Facebook users' contacts and calendar entries, even if they've disabled the data sharing as part of the partnership. 
that gave Amazon the names and contact information of users in a partnership that is still currently being wound down, but nonetheless still live. They gave Bing, the Microsoft search engine, who no one gives two tosses about, <laughs> access to see names and other profile information of users' friends. Microsoft didn't delete the data, and Facebook says that it was only set to public when it was accessible to Microsoft, blah, 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 don't believe that. Now, they also gave Spotify, Netflix, and uh, RBC, the Royal Bank of Canada, the ability to read users' private Facebook messages. Now, that is fucking alarming, right? I mean, they've read your private messages. Like, I'm all for Spotify and Netflix using cookies to suggest stuff to their audiences. Well, that's what's making life work at the moment. It's back to that convenience and morality point. But reading your private messages, they're going to know potentially how many times I've been to the loo in one day or <laughs> what I did at the weekend, how many times I went to the loo at the weekend. You know, this is all stuff that they're going to know and it's really frightening. Well, firstly, I'm slightly concerned about the fact that all you talk about on Facebook is how many times you've been to the loo. It's a big part of my life. <laughs> But it's super concerning, like, and also the fact that people had even switched off their data and yeah. said that you cannot access this. So like with cookies, like you mentioned, you yeah. have to always click yes, yeah. no. And like, if you're streaming something illegally and you go on a site and it says cookies, you're like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. And you go off, like, yeah. but at least you have the option. Yeah. Like this is just, you know, we're gonna read your messages and that's it basically. Even after. And so, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if there's something in Facebook's terms and conditions that's like a tiny, tiny print that no one has read, which means they can do this. I've, I've spoken about this episode of South Park before, but it's the one where um, no one reads their um, iOS update agreement. So they can take people with iPads and make them into human centipede, which is that disgusting <laughs> film. And people don't learn. They're like, they put them in another situation, like, right, read this quickly or press accept now. And they're literally in the, in the mold of a centipede and they still click it without reading it. And they're like, right, we're adding more people to you. You didn't read it. It's... It, I mean, that is a hyperbolic example that will never come to life. But if you don't read this stuff, you are liable to your data going all over the show. But on the flip side, it's like we said, you know, if you read that, would you still sign up? Exactly. Because all yeah. your friends have got Facebook, you want to use it. You know, are you really going to not sign up over one stipulation? As scary as this is, it's yeah. convenient. It is. It is. And it's just... Uh, it, it's very convenient. You know, we not 10 minutes ago spoke about how you love to talk over Facebook Messenger. I'm not pointing the finger at you here at all, Josie. But like, <laughs> you will make plans over Facebook Messenger. So in, 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 if Netflix read that message and you've said to, to Polly and Chloe, we're going out Saturday night, Sunday we'll be hungover just sitting in doing nothing. Netflix will know that now and they'll be able to suggest stuff for you to watch Sunday with a hangover. I don't know what you watch on a hangover. Probably Love Actually at this time of year or something. But... That, and although it's, it's relatively harmless, I guess, it's still shitting me up. Yeah, and like, for example, Spotify, like, let's say if I send on that message, oh yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm going to Printworks, mm. and I'm going to see this particular set of DJs, yeah. and then Spotify, on a Saturday night, knowing that I'm gonna be at like a pre-drinks, yeah. could start sending me links to songs, saying, have you heard this playlist? Have you heard this? And then you're a little bit drunk, and you're like, oh, this is good, like, I wanna listen to this playlist, sign me up. It's, it's scary. It's bloody scary. I think uh, about this article, the thing that kind of struck me was the fact that in my head, mm. I see Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Spotify, Netflix 
like obviously they're not all in the same market but being huge companies supported by technology essentially i would assume that they're competitors mm. i wouldn't assume that in the background they're signing dodgy deals to actually help each other out <laughs> i mean for money obviously but but it kind of begs the question that well is it for money or is it for users and data I don't, I don't that's know, yeah. that's as powerful as money at the moment but i mean obviously with like media we have regulations in place so that mm-hmm. one person can't own too much media yep like murdoch you know yep. the estate they, they have a cutoff so can they... producer rider just beep his name because i don't want to give him any airtime i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway and, and maybe we should do that with technology companies yeah you know if someone's got too many shares in something yep. should they be able to own something else because this will happen more and more if people own multiple businesses or have influence in multiple businesses you're 100 percent right the simpsons predicted that as well like there'll only be four companies in the next 50 years they'll all just merge and there'll be four heads of state. I mean, it's worth noticing, uh, whilst we have uh, put Netflix to the sword, they have strongly denied the allegations. Um, they actually told The Verge, over the, years we've tried ver- over the years we've tried various ways to make Netflix more social. One example of this was a feature we launched in 2014 that enabled members to recommend TV shows and movies to their Facebook friends via Messenger or Netflix. It was never that popular, so we shut down the feature in 2015. At no time did we access people's private messages on Facebook or ask for the ability to do so. Bullshit! <laughs> You've just, they've just said that they they enabled them to recommend it via Messenger on Facebook. You did read those messages, Mr. Netflix. Do you know what kind of scares me? And like, I know this is a huge like step forwards in Mm. terms of this, because obviously this is very Facebook heavy, Mm. but obviously I send you Spotify songs all the time on WhatsApp. And I'll be like, chat, listen to this song. And it goes straight to my WhatsApp, straight to my Facebook message, straight to my text. What are we going to hear next? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There's only so many times I can listen to that Mumford & Sons song that keeps sending <laughs> me. Or The Greatest Showman. I do not send you The Greatest Showman. I enjoy The Greatest Showman on my own. You send it to me because you know nothing's going to happen. <laughs> are you going to buy tickets for Hugh Jackman's tour? I mean, I didn't even know he was going on tour. Oh, That's so he's, he's touring all of his numbers over the years. So Les Miserables. Um, great showman and then he reckons he's just going to freestyle I love Hugh Jackman freestyle he's going to do a rap maybe there's a really sweet video of Hugh Jackman this week on a Korean TV programme and his face bless him he's a total perplexion as to what's going on around him right next news article how long have we been ramming on for probably going to be the longest ever episode but there's a lot to get through so I've kept this a secret from Josie because it's the Guardian's top 20 best gadgets of 2018 you're never going to guess what's number one. Let's just do the top five, okay? None of my products made it in here that I found this year, by the way. So very I really thought you were going to say that you've made. That I, I invented like, this year. I'm not sure that they're going to Guardian level here. Yeah, maybe not. One day, one day. So at number five, we have earphones. Uh, Jabra 65T active earphones. Never I, heard of it. Uh, huh? Never heard of it. No, me either. Uh, so the... the very small bio here are you a high powered always on type who wants to make calls question siri and listen to motivating podcasts all while being coached through a 10k training plan (laughs) that sounds really bizarre so it sounds like they've got about 18 different things playing at once in your ears there rubbish at number four (laughs) fucking hell the tangram smart rope it's no ordinary skipping rope this, tra- 
No, I, I actually like this. This tracks your fitness and data as you jump. It's 23 LED lights display your workouts. That's midair before syncing them to your phone through its smart gym mobile app. That's pretty cool. So that as it goes round, it almost projects in front of you what you're doing and then it sends all that data to your app. I mean, yeah, that's great, but I don't spend my whole gym skipping. Skipping. Skip rope. It'd be good for boxers and that, I guess. I mean, we must say that this is gadgets rather than best tech. But still, I did product of the week for about nine months this year. And things like that. Anyway, next we have the e-bike uh, Van Moof Electrified X2. Where do they get these names? The latest model from the Dutch e-bike maker have a range of over 90 miles. Well, any bike has a range of infinite miles. I think this, <laughs> this must have an engine in it or something. It's electric probably, isn't it? Electrified, yeah. Yeah, so obviously you charge it maybe. I yeah, think. there you go. But I just want listeners to remember that a bike has limitless mileage. Your body might not, though. Um, it has goes up to 25 kilometers an hour and has an array of anti-theft devices. I mean, if you could see the bike, I don't think many people are going to be stealing it. It looks like a white Boris bike. <laughs> people steal Boris bikes? Yeah, yeah. Homeless people love stealing Boris bikes now where I, around where I live. Yeah. Got an army. Fair play to them. Um, right, then we have a speaker. The Sonos one. The Sonos are pretty cool. But this is literally just a, another speaker that comes loaded with Alexa. Speaker, essentially. Yeah. Right, so if you thought those four were a bit... Well, guess, just have a guess at what number one is, Joe's. Oh, God, I don't know. I feel like it's going to be something very pointless or like very unoriginal. Okay. Um, something to do with cosmetics would be why. Wow. You are, you are in the right area. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe like a straightener or... A oh, my God. Is that actually... No, but you're <laughs> very close. Really so it's the Dyson Airwrap hairdryer. Oh, my gosh. I was going to say this. Like, honestly, though, yeah. my mum has got one of these. Yeah. And for some bizarre reason, she taught my dad into getting it for her. And it cost... What did she like... say? She taught your dad to use it. It's like, Josh, your dad doesn't have much hair. No, but it's like <laughs> £300. Pounds. 400 400 Well, in John Lewis at the moment, it's 300 Just oh. like plug John oh. Lewis there. I did see the other day. Um, but no, apparently it like uses cold air, right? But still dries your hair, and I'm like, but how does that work? So I think it uses the same technology as the airflow thing does. But I mean, a hairdryer, the best gadget of the year. I'm struggling to think of better gadgets. The exoskeleton seat or the the um, the exo arms you can. Yeah. It, that's sick. I mean, no, this is this is a very convenient thing for a lot of people. It but is it's not a gadget. I, I don't, would not define that as a gadget. I would define that as a, a new product on the market. And Dyson, Dyson were revolutionary 20 years ago or whatever, definitely. I suppose it, it speaks volumes that they're still at the forefront of gadgets and stuff like that. But I think, and look, Guardian, I'm not going to go to you, my favourite broadsheet newspaper. I think someone got paid a little bit by uh, Michael Dyson to put it at the top of their list. Or someone got a new hairdryer in the post. Ian Tucker wrote the post so maybe maybe it's, Ian Tucker's uh, got a wavy lock of hair maybe his Christmas present sorted exactly I mean just briefly through the other stuff we actually have a walking robot that finished at 18 that um, can battle AR generated opponents or other actual bots now that sounds like so much more fun than a hairdryer to well, it's me it's more of a gadget isn't it yeah do you know what I mean we have the Oculus Go headset as well which is obviously is AR and VR smashed it this year another bike on there uh, some more radios and a Fitbit stuff. So it's not a bad list. Um, maybe what I should do this week is put out my top 20 gadgets. See how much it differs from theirs. Exactly, exactly. Right, Jose, that's it from you and me this year. 
I think Dave and I will be sending out a podcast on Christmas Eve. But you'll be back on when one of us goes on holiday. That's the plan. Cool. Uh, everyone, have a lovely Thursday evening, Friday afternoon, whenever you're listening to it. Enjoy your weekend. Speak to you soon. Goodbye.